Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need when you need it with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We need Jack to record a cold open telling them that there's going to be a blooper reel at the end so that they stay. Jack, do it. They want to hear from you, Jack. You'll be like the voice of God. We allude to you for 13 episodes and then finally we get to hear you. You have to do it. So good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our final episode all about the Ready's Future of HR. It's me and Sam Sperlin on Friday afternoon, Friday the 13th. Could not feel more like Friday the 13th. This day is haunted. Hi, Sam. I mean, my day's been going pretty well. Pretty chill, pretty easy, just good vibes, you know, nice weather. No no Friday the 13th stuff happening over here. What's your deal? Nobody likes a bragger, Sam. (laughs) I mean, as you know, know. because this podcast has gotten delayed thrice today, my travels home from Atlanta were nothing short of haunted house-like. But now I am in my booth. We are going to have one final episode in which we reflect on our voyage so far. We've been doing this for a few months, which is wild. So yeah, we're going to talk about how that's gone. Still going to be plenty of juicy, dank nugs throughout, even as we retrospect and put a bow on it. But first, we're going to check in. Sam, last one. Yeah, I was just going to say, if we were less professional, you know, this is the TV series where we just cut a bunch of clips together and we call it a day. But no, Dude. we're going to actually create some fresh material here. Fresh. Remember Starting- though how mad you would be like when they did yeah. that at the end of it? And they'd be like, the big finale. And then it was just cut together old stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. so infuriating. Indeed. So this checking question, to your point, you know, this is a little bit delayed. So I've had way too long to think about a check-in question. So it's gotten it's gotten convoluted. So my check-in question is what TV show or movie when you were a child you wish you could have like been a part of in real life? I'll go first as the example here, because I have the best answer. Of course. Which is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. All of those horrible, horrible children looking that gift horse directly in the mouth and just not enjoying their time in the the magical candy world. Only Charlie was the one who didn't fuck it up. And he tried pretty hard to mess it up. He did. And if I was in that movie, I wouldn't have wandered away because I'm (laughs) I'm afraid of like adult authority. But I would have partaken in all of the fun treats, and I would have had a grand time, and it wouldn't have been a very fun movie, but I would have had a good time. You would have just like been, the Oompa Loompas would have been inviting you to the back on their smoke break to hang out. (laughs) And I'd be like, no, like Mr. Wonka says we have to keep going. (laughs) Mr. Wonka, you would have called him Mr. Wonka. Oh, absolutely. Sir, sir, may I have? Raised correctly. Sir, may I please lick that wallpaper? (laughs) That's awesome. This is a great answer. Mine, it really immediately sprang to mind. I'm older than you, so I don't know if you, you remember the you show are. Kids Incorporated. 
I do not. But I'm I am I am loving where this is going. Oh my god. Okay, so there was this show, Kids Incorporated, that I feel like no one would watch now. I don't even remember if there was a real conceit of it, but basically these kids appeared to live in some sort of factory, and they sang songs, and they played instruments, and their songs and dances were good. And it was like a little teen musical every week. I don't remember if there was really a plot in between. I think there kind of was, but... They were just very cool, and they had a great opening theme song. And I think part of it was because I was this, like, classical music dork, and I wanted to be the kid who, like, played the Billy Joel song on the saxophone instead. So, yeah, Kids Incorporated. I wanted to live in that factory with those kids. I'm following all of this, and I can see how this is a TV show, but the part where you're losing me is why are they living in a factory? I'm not sure. To make the music. I'm not sure. And, and okay. it, it's all very so it's like a boxcar children situation. Like they're now, homeless and they live in a factory. I don't know. Maybe they didn't live there. Maybe that was just where they rehearsed, uh, but you didn't ever see them anywhere there. else. They okay. were permanently in this thing that looked like a warehouse, but also had little like sets in it. Hmm. I don't kind of know. Give me some like uh, school of rock vibes. I think that was for people your age. Kids Incorporated oh, okay. was for your elders. Gotcha. Yeah. Totally. Check it out. You'll like it. Check out the theme song. It's really good. I probably won't, but I'll take your word for it. Terrific. (laughs) Glad to have shared. Ronnie, I feel like we have a relationship where we can be honest with each other. And I didn't want to fill you with false hopes that I was going to go deep down the Kids Incorporated rabbit hole. This 1984 children television series, which had nine seasons, according to Google, which is more than I would have expected. That's a lot. It was a big deal. Yeah. Okay, so Ronnie, as you said, one of our favorite things is to do retrospectives, to tie this to org designs. We think teams should stop periodically, maybe at the end of a project, and say, hey, how did this go? What did we learn? So we're going to do the podcast equivalent of Mm. that today. Great. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay, so let's look back in our memories and just acknowledge what we've done. We've done three guest interviews. These were the times that you kicked me off the podcast and replaced me with other folks. Best weeks Uh, of my life. Likewise. (laughs) We did 13 episodes overall. Uh We did an Ask Us Anything episode. Oh, yeah. We did the Ready's first ever big public discussion about AI where we you know, oh, yeah. definitively told everyone what is going to happen with that AI. we don't know. I think that's how that, that conversation went. Yeah. We may have did some swearing, uh-huh. some, some cusses. In sorry. one episode in particular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe one. But there was some sprinkling throughout. Uh, yeah. Hot dogs, apparently. I don't know how we ended up talking about hot dogs. Well, which because one of us. the pill in the hot dog analogy yeah. started in episode one and then I just couldn't put it down. Yeah. And Noel's can't put it down. Jack can't put it down because I would say every other day he DMs me something hot dog related on Instagram. So it's one of my favorite uh, uses of Instagram that I have nowadays. And the whole world of hot dogs out there is vast. And I thought I I had a pretty good handle on it as a bit of a hot dog fan. And I was not even scratching the surface. I mean, I feel like when in episode one, I was talking about the pill and the hot dog, and you were basically like, that's hot dog inside of hot dog, which is the best <laughs> hot dog. I feel like you really opened the door to becoming the hot dog guy. <laughs> yeah, I may have done a little bit of uh, inadvertent branding on that one. <laughs> exactly. It's going to follow me for a while, I have a exactly. feeling. So other than just having a fun time hanging out, what was the initial goal of doing this series? I think we probably both have our own slight take on that, but why don't you go first? 
Yeah. I think for me, it was really um, two things. One was just conveying information that I thought would be helpful to HR people who were into what they heard in potentially making a case to their bosses or stakeholders or constituents for why HR needed to change and how it might change. And honestly, the other thing is I know for myself as someone who's done this kind of work for a long time, I wanted to deeply, deeply understand this content, and I knew the best way to deeply understand it would be to explain it to other people. And so I sort of thought of like you and I really like digging into the skills and the maturity model and all of these things as like a bit of an accountability mechanism Mm -hmm. for myself to be like, how well do you know this thing you made? Yeah. And I feel like I learned more about it and like more about the nuances of application, even outside of doing this work in the world through having these kinds of conversations with you. So those were my yeah. two big hopes. And I think fucking nailed it. Two for two. <laughs> Obviously hit it yeah. out of the park. Well, yeah, I think that's well said. You know, there's only so much thinking that can go into a new idea before you need to share it more widely and kind of pressure test it out in the world. So you and our other colleagues who really did a lot of the development around the maturity model and the capabilities, like all of that was amazing work. And also to better understand that great progress that you made, you had to kind of start to beat it up. And I was happy to play the relatively informed idiot who could ask questions and be a bit of a conversational foil to explore those things. Yeah, you did a great job being an idiot. And <laughs> Thank you. I also feel like in terms of like the meta learning or message around that, one of the things that we do in all kinds of transformation work is really try to encourage leaders to actually be in real work, not just judging yeah. other people's work or not only living at the most sort of like summarized and sanitized version of what tends to be very complex and nuanced stuff. And I feel like a great moment of that for you and I was when you and I tried to make an episode about the skills and we were like, uh oh. And I was like, I like, I know what they mean, but like, do I really understand how they're evaluated and how they all fit? And it was like, I don't. Let's get someone. We need Meg. We need Meg. Meg, Please come help us. Uh, Yeah. Um, But I feel like even that it's like, this mini series and how we've made it is very much how we do everything, which is yeah. like, we didn't ask Meg to give us a script to explain it. We just had Meg here to explain it. And we that's how it should deck. be. Yeah, we hey, didn't hey, ask for Meg, a PowerPoint come, deck. come brief us on this work that you did. And yeah. you need to do it in like five slides because I'm really busy. And then yeah. I'm going to talk as if I understand it very well. And maybe also as if I made it. Yeah. And yeah, then also exactly. I'll get credit for it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we we definitely don't uh, definitely don't do that. No, we're good like that. So hopefully yeah. there were some some meta moments besides just making content that we tried to make useful. Yeah. The other thing that I'll throw in there, I think, and maybe this is a little kind of behind the curtains about you know how we do things at the ready or how we're thinking about our work, but we have made a conscious effort through this future of HR work to have a point of view. A, mm-hmm. have a prescription about how the work should go. And that's not to say that we haven't had opinions about how transformation should happen or the things organizations should do. But from our very earliest days, we were very much kind of co-create or die. 
yeah. uh, with the work, uh, yeah. for better or worse. And for a lot of times, it's for better. But I think over eight years of doing this work, one of the things that we kind of homed in on is that we seem to be doing a lot of the same things over and over. So what if we actually just came in with a, a prescription? And that's part of what the future of HR stuff was. So can we then talk about it in a way that is compelling and help bring people along so that it's not only the super weirdos like us who have any sense of what we're talking about? Because that is not a failure of other people to understand us. It is a failure of ours to communicate what is important about this work. Totally. It's interesting because I feel like there was a long time in our history when we were very co-creation and emergence only focused, where we were like, it is too egotistical to believe that we know better and that we should tell people and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, we always had those opinions. We just wanted the clients to guess what they were, basically. And what I've learned from now having like hundreds of conversations with HR people in the last year is what actually takes more ego groundedness is to put your clarified and researched opinion into the world and hold it lightly. Like people prefer to criticize something that you made than to be given a blank piece of paper to make it with you. That's just true. And it actually, I think, takes a little bit more psychological flexibility to take a point of view and then also like listen deeply to people's critique and yeah. pushback and ideas for improvement, I think it is actually a little bit harder than being like, we'll just steer it together and we'll just create the conditions <laughs> and the right things will emerge. And it's like, there's yeah. not a lot of skin in the game with that in, yeah. the, in quite the same way. Totally. I think that's a good segue to talk a little bit about the reception of this mini series. Have you had or like what conversations have you had since we've started releasing these that gives you a sense of how people have actually been receiving the work we've been doing here? Yeah. So we've heard from a lot of you, which has been really nice. And there are a couple of things that have been really exciting to me. And you know, we make these podcasts and you don't really know how you're landing and tens of thousands of people listen to it. And then you hear from four of them and you're like, I don't fucking know what's going on out there, you know, but two things have happened really consistently. One is people in HR or other roles have been listening to this podcast and sharing it with their teams, either pushing it to them and being like, listen to this and let's discuss it, or having listening parties together and having conversations. And we've heard about that more than once. And that's really cool. And I think with our old podcast, which was super fun to make and like I love very dearly, it was a little harder to do that because the topics were so varied. And so unless you just happened to hit the topic in the week that a lot of people were thinking about decision-making, it wasn't as easy to do that. Whereas this is There's no narrative arc like we've had for the past 12 episodes. This has a real container where HR people are like, yo, listen up, losers. We we got (laughs) to pay attention to this, you know? So that's been really cool. And then the other thing, and I was with a group of HR and org effectiveness people earlier this week. Y'all know who you are. It was really lovely seeing you. And the first thing one of them said to me when we sat down at the table was, I've never felt so seen. And I hear that a lot from HR people, which is just like, this exploration has not been about woe is me, poor HR, or like HR is broken. It's like, this is designed poorly. You all feel it. And we are here to help explain why. 
And I think that has been very relieving for people in a way where they're like, yeah, that is what's going on. That is why my life is so hard and why I can't get anything done. And so those are sort of the big patterns of feedback that I've heard. What about you? I mean, the main thing, my life has fundamentally changed because I can't walk down the street anymore. I, I mean, everybody's recognizing me. I mean, usually because this is an audio format, if I just <laughs> don't talk, I can sneak by and act like a normal person. But the second I open my voice, everybody's, oh, the ready future of HR. You're the guy. I'm like, yeah. Are I am you the guy. Sam Sperlin? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I guess I am. No, that has not been that has not been the case. Not um, yet. Not yet. Not yet. That's right. We're on that trajectory. I mean, I can only imagine, you know, what it's like for you to, mm, to walk I mean, around. I have personal security now. Exactly. I mean, I think I've had a little bit less direct feedback from folks on the the podcast as compared to you. I know you've been like in your portfolio of roles at the ready, you've got some that are like specifically going out and talking to as many people as possible. Yeah. I've been much more on kind of servicing a couple of, of clients. The one thing that I would emphasize that I've heard is, or what I've been surprised by and have really enjoyed is the non-HR folks who mm. are still finding a lot of value in what we're talking about here. And I think maybe we'll get into it more later, but I think you and I and others who have been doing this work at the ready have also started to have, you know, this realization and this widening of the aperture on like, oh yeah, this future of HR maturity model. Like, yes, there is an HR specific lens that we have overlaid on it, but there is a foundational nugget of an idea that might be and probably is much broader than just HR. And other people have picked up on that and shared that with me. Yeah. Cool. I love that. Yeah. I've been surprised at how many non-HR folks have really stuck with this. It's been really cool and found things that they could apply. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so I remember a moment when you and I made a test episode to see if we could do this. See if we and, vibed. Yeah. See if we vibed. Just check the vibe, <laughs> you know, because normally we just fight like cats and dogs. <laughs> You know, it's not always easy to make good radio with somebody. So we were t- we we're checking the vibe. And I remember in an episode that was not released asking you about your experience with HR people. And you were basically like, am I allowed to say not great? It's not always <laughs> been great. Um, and I think a slightly more diplomatic version of that ended up in the pilot of this mini series. But what I want to ask you is, has your view changed at all since we started talking about this? Like, Is there anything new? Is there any surprises? Is there any evolution in your view of our HR brethren out there? (laughs) I mean... I feel like with that setup, I better have like like this real like change of heart. (laughs) The thing is, I've never the fraught, which is probably even too strong a word, but the fraught relationships or moments that I have had with HR in the past, it was not because I did not respect what HR was bringing to the table or what they had to deal with. You know, to look at the system, the system was setting us up as adversaries in an unhealthy way just because of, you know, see all previous episodes of this podcast. I think what I'm taking away from this is, though, a, a greater appreciation of how business as usual HR has like no winners uh, mm. in it and is Ugh. really it's it's yeah it's just a game that has no victory condition basically mm. there's just how long can you stave off the inevitable burnout and lack of will to continue yeah and then you either kind of settle out in this place where you can kind of just keep going and you know just not not poke your head out too much to get hit 
uh, or you do something else. And I think the conversations that we've had have, have helped me better understand that and bring a little bit more empathy to just that whole situation for most HR folks. That's cool. I was talking to a woman a couple weeks ago who sits on several public boards and was very, very senior in a big management consulting firm for most of her career. And she listened to our podcast before our meeting. And she said to me, which is amazing because this woman, like to me, knows kind of like everything about like capital B business, you know? Mm -hmm. And she said to me, I never thought before about how much of HR's power is soft power and that it's almost all soft power and mm -hmm. how hard it mm -hmm. must be to be strategic when you have no hard power in a system. Yeah. And so like, you know, that's a good thing for people who are making budgets and hiring decisions and decision architecture and things like that to know about that function and its remit. Yeah. I, I also really enjoyed your reframing of how most organizations, uh, I don't remember where, where, like what stat you cited for this, but it was something along the lines of like most modern organizations are not, you know, manufacturing a bunch right. of products that are then going out in the world. I mean, yes, obviously there are organizations that still do that. However, a lot of the real kind of white collar creative sort of organizations, all of their value is locked up in the human beings who work at that organization. Yeah. So if you think about the, the senior leader or the function that is most directly connected to the stewardship and the nurturing and the retaining of all of that value, it's straight up HR. Straight up. Yeah. 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 I think for me, I don't know that my view has necessarily changed, but what has been very interesting is the spectrum of reactions from this is so progressive, we'll never get past level two. Yeah. And like more than one conversation with people who are like, what you're saying is right. And we're failing and we won't do it. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. And people who I would say are like, yeah, duh. Like people that I've been in conversations with that are basically like, this is old news or this is intuitive or we've been operating this way for years. And it's just, it is interesting to me for an infrastructure function, even in companies of similar sizes and ages, to have such a diversity of viewpoints on the function. Um, so that's been really interesting. And I also think that really candidly, because of the kind of customer research that we did, and because we were very confident in the problem that we were trying to solve, and because of the reception around the solution, I thought more HR leaders would be more willing to make real change more quickly. Mm -hmm. So we have a handful of quite progressive HR leaders at very cool, large companies who are now making moves with us, which is awesome. But I think because a lot of the early feedback we got was we haven't had a model for where we could head, and now we do, and that's really exciting. I didn't think it would be hard then for people to find the authority or the budget or the time to actually do shit about it. And yeah. it has been. It's been harder than I thought. Do you have any reckons about why why that is? Reckons? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's my uh, my southern roots coming out. Um, well, I have one to get you us started. Start. I have one, but I want to really like I oh. want to breathe into it before I say yeah. it out loud. Well, and I have I, I have one that is maybe letting folks off the hook in the sense that. Just the timing of when we did a lot of this over the summer, mm. um, we have certainly learned that the summer is not when you sell consulting projects necessarily. That's true. And now we are, you know, Q3, everyone's planning their budgets. Now. So I would be, I would hold lightly what is perceived as a lack of interest or a lack of willingness to dive into this. Mm. At, or as long as it's that's like during the summer months. Yeah. So I don't I think that's a non-zero part of it, but not probably not all of it. Yeah, I mean a lot a lot shifted in September for sure. That's yeah. very true. Um okay, so I am gonna say the thing that occurred to me. Mm-hmm. I believe dispositionally HR, even at the leadership level, does often still see itself as an enabling or a supporting function and therefore does not have the same level of willingness to say, here is what we need. Here is what we're going to do. Here is our new operating model. Mm-hmm. Everybody shut up. We're doing that. Like <laughs> CFO, mm-hmm. shut up. This is my thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just compared to you and I both worked with a lot of C-suite executives. And when the when the head of revenue walks in or the CTO walks in and says, listen up, this is what we're doing in my function to be able to meet the organization's goals, it is usually not open season on everybody telling them for a year whether they can or should do that in their own backyard or not. Yeah, and in yeah. HR, it remains that way quite often. You listen here, uh, Miss CTO. I know what a touch bar is, and or, <laughs> and I'm going to ha- give you my opinions about our technology. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen. But everyone is very happy to weigh in on yeah. uh, on HR stuff. Well, and that what that makes me think about then is, you know, it's not only then just HR leaders who are needing this truly like a paradigm shift in how they conceptualize themselves on their leadership teams, but also everybody else on that team. And that's not the type of thing that is necessarily easily, you're going to just like flip the switch on that. And now suddenly all of your peers in the C-suite are seeing you fundamentally as a strategic partner and very open and and chill about you showing up in a fundamentally different way. Yeah. And I've heard some like real horror stories along those lines through this work. So that has become clearer to me and, you know, is unfortunate, but not insurmountable by any yeah. means. Cool. So are there any convictions that you feel stronger about now than you did when we started? The first thing that came to my mind is the importance of the platform teams. Cool. Yeah, which is like a weirdly that. specific thing. But yeah. we've gotten some questions from listeners and in workshops about platform teams. And it's very like, if we're moving from level two to level three, It seems like the hero of that level is the MBT. What about those of us who are just like, time to make the donuts in the platform teams? Everyone loves donuts, first of all. (laughs) Let's just get very clear about that. (laughs) First of all, donuts. (laughs) (laughs) Second of all, hot dogs. (laughs) Um, And it's been really interesting to get that question and get to explain the thinking around it, and for me to get ever clearer on how important the strength of a platform team that holds persistent work is 
both in terms of developing deep subject matter expertise, having seamless HR operations, and being able to deploy that expertise into MBTs as it's needed. And I can't think of like a good example of this, but maybe you can. It's the thing of like, don't get too snazzy if you don't have the fundamentals down. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like any employee is going to be really irritated if you roll out a brand new, fancy, adaptive team incentive system that's pro-social and that was developed in an MBT, but their paycheck doesn't hit the bank account on time. Yeah. Like that's not going to land well for yeah. people. And so just because of the kinds of questions that I've gotten, I have been increasingly convicted about not just creating time for HR business partners, or as we call the business coaches, to hold and steward the most strategic priorities and how to free them up to do that, but even more important <laughs> to protect and evolve those platform teams so they are the best versions yeah. of functional humming orgs. Yeah, I like that a lot because that's not the sexy work necessarily. And we, we talked a little bit about how, you know, in, in one of the episodes, I think in the AUA episode, we um, yeah. answered some questions about that. But yeah, I, I agree with you that they are kind of the unsung hero to being able to do uh, other stuff. And if you can't do the fundamentals, then... What are we even doing here? What are we even doing? Yeah. What about yeah. you? Have you overturned any convictions? I have a conviction that are you are are you Canadian? Say say coach. Coach. Say coach. Say HR business coach. HR business coach. Every uh, now you're overthinking it. Every time you've said HR business coach in this episode, in this entire miniseries, I've wanted to to ask, are you Canadian? Because what? you say Why? coach like a Canadian. What does that mean? Co- coach. Coach, that's HR business like coach. Scottish. I know, but it's it's a little it's a little Canadian. So okay. I I think you're a secret you're a secret Canuck. I am definitely not polite <laughs> enough to be Canadian. Um, that was not a real answer. I don't know if I had many convictions coming okay. into this. I was actually trying to hold everything very lightly, uh-huh. in the sense that. I was not involved in developing the, the stuff. You know, my HR experience in terms of like holding those sorts of roles were zero. So I was holding everything quite lightly. I, if anything, the conviction that I feel strongly now is that it is worth us coming up with things like this maturity model for, mm. for future HR. Like I want to yeah. do more of this in other places. Yeah. Because um, I think it's a, it is a good exercise for our development as mm-hmm. professionals in this space to do the research, distill it into a framework that can be talked about and iterated on and actually implemented. That's just good, fun stuff. Yeah, that is fun stuff. Okay. So I think, believe it or not, Rodney, all good things come to an end. Are you going to cry? I've already had my crying fit while I was thinking about this last episode. And I pulled myself together just in time to record it. Good job. Final takeaways. So if you remember nothing else, if, if our listeners remember nothing else, what do you hope they do remember? What are they, what are they going to carry forward into this future? Mm. I've said it before. I'll say it again because it is the golden rule of organizational design. All systems are perfectly designed for the outcomes they get. So if you are an HR person who is like, Why is everything so shitty? But also, let's not change our organization. You are stuck. 
you are stuck. And no matter how insurmountable transforming HR feels, it is possible. People do it all the time. So don't live with the results that you are dissatisfied with, whether that's burnout, whether that's low employee satisfaction, whether that's HR not being seen as strategic, whatever it is that is your particular frustration with the function, don't settle for it and change the organization instead. I like that. I think mine is a slight variation on that. I don't remember who I heard say this for the first time. It could have been you for all I know. Maybe Aaron, I'm not sure. But I like to remind people that our organizations and the systems within them were created by humans. Mm. They're not, they didn't just appear like (laughs) from the heavens one day. And now we have to live in this system that was, you know, placed upon us. Yeah. We, we, we human beings, people like me and you, we made the system that we are currently living in, which hopefully makes you realize that we are also capable of changing them, that yeah. they are not immutable and that they are not, they're not like the laws of physics and they can't be changed. We can change them. And yes, they are so massive and so complex that trying to change them in one fell swoop or in one quick move is not ever going to work. So that is when, you know, that commitment to experimentation, that commitment to iteration, starting by starting, all of those little pithy things that we say, that's when that really starts to to come into play. But at the end of the day, we're playing in systems that we made and we can unmake them. Yeah, love it. So in terms of what's next... We are wrapping up this mini-series, but hopefully you are all just beginning on your Future of HR journey. Y'all know we have provided so much content from our website, and there is more content and resources on the horizon. So if you have not already signed up on theready.com forward slash FOHR to receive information as it drops, you should do that because there is more good shit in the hopper. And for those of you who have taken the assessment or are going to take the assessment, you're going to start getting content emailed to you based on how you self-assessed in the maturity model to get you started. So like tools you can start using, tips for what you might try, experiments that you might run. So if you haven't done that, go do it because that will help you start making moves. Also, if you have not considered doing a workshop with us, with your HR team or some cross-functional group that wants to start shaking shit up, you should contact us because we've done a few of these now and they've been really cool. Sam was there for one of them. And the experience of that just really helps people start to understand concepts in this model like centralization and decentralization, like how to think about data literacy, like how to craft and start to move toward roles like HR business coach and market designer. So seeing HR teams really discover like in the work what's going on and how they can start to design differently has been really fun. So hit us up if you want to do that. Lastly, if you're ready to just take the express train, pass the workshop, and you want to get into whole org change, we would love to help you, obviously. And the way to get that conversation started is to email us at fohr at theready.com. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're hoping to do, and we will get back with you very quickly. And I think that's it. 
Uh, so I believe that this is our Oscar acceptance speech moment, something that neither you nor I is ever going to experience in the real world. No. So we'll do it here. Thank you so much to our guests. We have had some amazing people on this show. Heba Youssef, Brian Elliott, Josh Burson, our very own Meg Saxby. Thank you so much to Taylor. And a huge special thank you to Jack Van Amberg, who is going to be horrified that this is in the script. We could not make this without you. I know that you love trolling us, but we also equally love being trolled by you and really appreciate everything you've done to make us sound good, sound prepared, not sound like the idiots that you know we are. You all can keep learning more about what's next for HR at theready.com forward slash F-O-H-R. Keep sharing this series. Have a listening party. Hit us up to hang out with you. We greatly appreciate it. So normally this is where we'd say this miniseries is produced by The Ready, yada, yada, yada. But you know all that stuff by now. So as a special treat for those of you who stuck around to the very end of this episode and didn't skip ahead to the next show on your list, we're closing it out with something a little special. While our title music plays out, Jack's got a collection of bloopers and funny moments, including some that never before made the air. (laughs) Oh, no. As our thank you for tuning in every week. Now roll that tape. Jack put in a sassy banter parenthetical, so don't forget to be sassy. I mean, every time I sit down a couple hours beforehand and I and I get my, <laughs> my quill pen out and I write down my sassy banter lines and then I run them for a couple of times so that they're sounding natural. That also all sounds like hot dog to me. Um, I know. I knew hot it dogs would. and hot dogs. You're just like, that's <laughs> no hot dog with cheese inside. <laughs> and like, yeah. I definitely had favorite gladiators that I was oh, like, for sure. Diamond is my like ride or die. I don't know if you just pulled that or if that is no, actually your name, but it sounds yeah, like, there was, like it could Jay, be one Diamond, of them. Jade, Diamond, like someone had ice oh, in the Geology, like. mostly. Minerals, <laughs> yeah. Gypsum, <laughs> granite. Can All you right, imagine if there was a gladiator named Gypsum? Okay, this is not what this show is about. Can I just call you Pizza? That's such a good nickname. <laughs> That'd be great. I've always wanted I a like good nickname. Pizza Carlin. That's very good. Because you're cheesy and you're salty. And I'm bad for you. Four Slack messages and now he's texting me because he's like, Jack, you're like Where our stage mom. Where is she? She's in the wind. <laughs> I want to turn it into a little <laughs> remix <laughs> of Meg. Or dead. Or dead. Or dead. Or dead. Totally. You nailed it. Plus, the remix is going to be dropping in Ibiza this summer. (laughs) I'm wearing a polo shirt today to try to trick my brain into reminding myself that I have a job that I need to take seriously. You're like, look at me. I'm business casual, Sam. I don't think this is true. But what Jack wrote in the episode notes is that we've been deep into theory and jargon for the last few episodes. I have never once said a jargon in my entire life. I mean, how would we know? It's just the language. It's That's just who we are. Incredibly true. When you're swimming, like, what is water? You know. I know. Like, we're, what we're is fishing air? Fishing water at this point. And just breathing. Yeah, I'm breathing and saying words. Forget all of that. I think my opinion is this. I believe <laughs> you're, you're you're forming the opinion in real time right now. I really I'm loving am. it. We're watching. Well, we're watching like the sausage very... get made. The Sam Sperlin superlative should be best mustache. There may be some colleagues who want to compete on that, but let's be honest, they can't. Nope. So it's just you. I can't even is, think of someone else who has one, which tells you how distant a second they are. I'm so sorry, Alistair. I'm sorry, Jason. And Jason sometimes. 
I thought you were going to stop ageism? being an asshole. What happened? You lasted 45 <laughs> seconds. The new co-host sounds handsome and smart. Five stars. <laughs> really toxic work environment with a bad manager facing a ton of problems. Wait, I submitted this question. Oh, God, never mind. <sighs> but who's your manager, Sam, is my question. <laughs> That's the real... You're all my man. I'm, well, no, I'm, it's me. I'm the it's manager in the self-managing organization. The I'm oh, the no. dumb shit. I kind of want people to hear the notes oh, that our so producer no. Lisa's <laughs> leaves for us. This is the all caps last episode that will air in the miniseries. So don't fuck it up. He, he has a way with words. Such stage mom energy from that one. Well, now I'm overthinking it. Am I fucking it up? I probably. don't know. We probably will. Oh, we're recording already. Great.